All right, everyone, welcome back to another weekly roundup edition of On the Margin. I'm joined, as always, by my cheery co-host uh, for Sunrise Saturday, Mr. Mark Yusko. Mark, there you go. The there show. you go. And, and I'm actually, I'm actually the casual. I'm, I'm cashed out. I got my, I got my diversified portfolio shirt. We'll do a quick soccer. I got my cruddy jeans on. I do have the Bitcoin bull market socks on today. Mm. So the Bitcoin bull is out. Uh, feeling good. Uh, but I'm, I'm cashed out because today is, is our Habitat Build Day at Morgan nice. Creek. So we all head out and uh, pick up the hammers and saws and, and do a little construction project. And then we have a little uh, team lunch. So pretty excited about that. Good for you. Nice. What, are you uh, what are you building? Uh, I mean, we work on a, a Habitat for Humanity house. Nice. So, and, uh, you know, if I weren't in this business, that's what I would do. I, mm-hmm. I worked construction in college. I love it. I mean, I just love putting stuff up and building stuff. And, um, but <laughs> when I was working construction in college uh, and, you know, Friday would come around and, and the, the foreman and the other guy, the highlight of their week was they'd buy a case of pearl light and sit on the, the porch of the construction trailer and watch the storms in the distance. I'm like, Okay, maybe I maybe maybe that's not yeah not where I want to be. But um, they 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 love their life, so I I shouldn't I shouldn't you know say anything negative about it. See, this is the this is the one. Usually, I feel like you and I are brothers from another mother, but this is the I could never do. Const- I have the back of a ninety five year old man as a as a you know twenty something year old uh, fella. Yeah. But but uh, that's, I'm actually that's I'm actually not that. bad with with a hammer and and saw. So it's, see, uh, I feel like I would take down like more it. than I would actually help. Um, but uh, I, I'd love to get your I'd love to get your your thoughts here. Maybe we could just zoom out a little bit today. So haven't been plugging in quite as much in the in the sort of macro tradfi side of things. But you know, I, I popped my head in and, and was listening to a debate the other day, just kind of on this whole: Are we in a is this a bear market rally that we're seeing in the S and P and the Nasdaq yep. or the major stock market indices yep. in the U.S. or is this just the beginning of another longer dip? Yep. So, so I mean, I'd love I, to get- let's just be honest, Michael. You know, you're you're following the the December calendar that I saw the other day, mm-hmm. you know, it, it showed first week of December, pretend to work. Second and third week of December, actually admit that you're not going to work. Uh, weekends, you know, pretend that you're shopping. December 24th, actually go shopping. Uh, December 31st, uh, make all the New Year's resolutions that you'll break. And uh, I was like, yeah, that, that's pretty much how December goes. Nobody yeah. works. It's yeah. It's crazy. No, no, no. I mean, you're working really hard. But look, I think what's really interesting, the Dow is down 7%. Mm. Right? That's mm. that's not, I mean, that's pretty darn close back to, to black. And, you know, if Santa Claus shows up, which, you know, they're trying really hard to get this Santa Claus rally going. You know, article yesterday in, in the Wall Street Journal talking about, well, you know, for sure, there's going to be a monster rally in January because the tax loss selling is going to be big this year. That means all the stuff's going to rally in January. Now, remember that the, the tax loss selling already happened for the bulk of the money. Right? Mm. October 31st is the deadline for mutual funds. And that's why we always have this kind of November-ish rally, mid-November to end of November, uh, because people sell the losers they have to wait 30 days to avoid wash sale. And then they buy back all this, this garbage. And you saw just garbage, right? I mean, I think Carvana was up 30. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Carvana was up 30% one day mm. uh, on a Friday. Well, now it's right back down. It's going to zero, right? I mean, Carvana equity is, is toast. Mm. But 
That's a long-winded way of saying, clearly we're still in a bear market. I mean, you don't have 3%, 4% up days in bull markets. They, they just don't happen. Uh, bull markets are day, markets go up most days and down sharply on bad news or perceived bad news. We have exactly the opposite. The market goes down most days, goes up sharply on good news or perceived good news. And most of, of what people are saying is good news. Well, the Fed might only raise 50 basis points instead of 75. That, that's, that's good news. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you looked at any of the economic data, I mean, it's bad. It's bad. Like, 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 like worst ever bad. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things. I mean, home sale transactions, um, uh, freight uh, cost uh, increases are actually negative decreases. Mm. I mean, things that we've just never seen. And, and all the charts look the same, right? They kind of have this little bump in, in March of 2020. And then they have this massive spike. And now they have this massive spike down. But the down is is farther down than than the up mm. and you know the base the base effect okay i get it right we, we talked about this with oil right if you make oil prices go negative and then they go up on a percentage basis that's a really big increase but now oil prices are lower than they were a year ago that's deflation right not inflation and so all of this Fear of inflation, fear of of overheating economy, no way. And actually, interest rates are starting to go. So, mm. you know, I I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. I could pull it up, but my guess is that TLT, the long bond, after just getting massacred, massacred, uh, is probably in the last month up significantly more than stocks. Mm. Yeah, TLT. Let's see, it's not loading for me right now, but it looks it looks like it's about flat at least on the month, um, right. which is, uh, yeah. I mean, it's 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 an interesting point. I mean, do you think uh, yeah. TLT is up sixteen percent? Oh, sixteen percent. Oh, geez, yeah. I was looking at the wrong thing. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, and that's that's like straight up, but it's it did that because it went straight down. <laughs> I mean, that's the worst. Look, this is the worst year for bonds in the history of bonds. Mm. Like. Like awful, terrible, mm. horrible, you mm. know, like, like the Grinch. I mean, I'm, you know, watched the Grinch last night and, uh, you know, terrible, awful, awful idea or whatever he says. Um, but it's a great movie. Oh, so good. Mm. And, and I, and I watched, actually, I watched him back to back. I watched the, the new one and the old one. I skipped the Jim Carrey one. I don't like the Jim Carrey one. Oh, really? I still, I still like, like Jim, Jim Carrey from my childhood. I, I've, I've got a soft spot for Jim Carrey, Bruce Almighty. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, the mask. All right. I, I can. I, in, for you, yeah. I will watch it. Um, I appreciate that. Thank because you. I have, then I'd complete the trifecta. Yeah. Um, so, so what do you think? You know, I think, look, we're recording this on December 9th. I think if at the beginning of, of this year, someone had said, hey, uh, Mark and Mike, the Fed is going to be raising 75 basis points at each FOMC, you know, we'll, we'll taper off to 50 basis points by the end of the year. Where do you think the stock market is going to be? And where do you think people's heads are going to be at? I would not have said here. And I think, I think it's pretty fair to say that the market is surprised to the upside in terms of resilience. So, what to the what broad do you attribute? market? Yeah, tech is where we would expect it to be. Tech is down. I mean, Nasdaq's down thirty percent, twenty nine point seven seven percent. Yeah, but you're right. The broad market, particularly the Dow, and and for some reason I can't get the S and P to load, which I think is kind of in the middle, in the mm. in the teens. Um, but 
I agree with you 100%. And, and remember, the Dow was down mid-20s and then has just had this, this monster rally off the bottom. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. The, from, if you think about the types of companies that have done well, uh, it, it's all about this, this recovery, this, this expected you know, uh, good outcome. I, I just don't see it. I mean, other than travel, right? Travel is still crazy. And, and someone explained it to me, maybe, maybe, maybe it was Joseph last week explained it to me, um, that it has to do with, you know, we, we gave out all these stimmy checks and the rich people couldn't spend them because you weren't allowed to go anywhere. So now they're going. Mm-hmm. And I, I may have talked about this last week, but, you know, we're going skiing on over Christmas. We, we do that, you know, pretty, pretty frequently. Um, and we decided this year we'll go to Utah where right. my wife's cousin lives instead of Colorado, where I like to go. And long story short, we uh, we'll just get a hotel and I pull up. There are no hotels except these three resorts. And the price was $3,400 a night. Mm. I'm like $3,400 like for a week. No, mm. no per night. And there are people that are paying that. Uh, not, not me. So mm. I'm staying in a crappy little Airbnb. You know, I'll have to take a bus to get to the slope, but slumming it. Slumming it. Let me let me ask you this, Ryan. Can you talk about the some of the headwinds that are that are there for technology stocks? And and just just I think yesterday, Salesforce actually announced that they were going to cancel guidance uh, moving into the new year, which is well, you know, you you had uh, Mr. Mr. Hunt uh, Mm. on on the show, not this show, but but on on a show maybe Mm. this week or last week. Yeah, this week. Um, this week. And, you know, he and I don't always see eye to eye, I guess. But bottom line <laughs> is, um, uh, I have two people always have the same opinion. One is unnecessary, so that's fine. Mm-hmm. But long story short, I, there's one thing I, uh, I don't watch much of his stuff, but I do, I did watch the, the thing he did where he talked about Salesforce versus IBM and how narratives work. Mm. And it was amazing. Right over this eleven-year period that this woman was the head of of IBM, IBM stock no movement, mm-hmm. right? None. Salesforce was up like ten x. Yep. And basically explained it was because every quarter, the day after earnings, Benioff would go on TV and spew nonsense. I mean, literally nonsense, talking about adjusted EBITDA and community stuff and, yeah. and all these, this literally made up stuff. But people were like, oh, oh, this is such a great growth story. And when you actually look at the numbers between IBM and Salesforce, they're not that different. But one went up 10 times and one was five because the woman at IBM went on TV zero times. Yeah. Hold zero on. times. And There's the reason a- he's not going to do guidance is because he has no clothes, right? He is the emperor who has no clothes. There, There's no there there. Mm. This stock could go down a lot more. I mean, how much is it down this year? It's down a lot. Yeah, it's down an enormous it's amount. Down. This is, I thought this was pretty telling here. So first of all, this is actually, they break this out. This is sort of a helpful visualization. Basically, this this is a very helpful way to break out, you know, sort of revenues and, and costs and you get a sense of profitability, a nice little, a nice little visual representation here. And you can look at the net, I, what I want to call your attention to is the sales and marketing red part of this little graphic versus the net profit 
part of the graphic here. So sales and marketing as a percentage of revenue is 44%, 44% of <laughs> revenue. And net profit is, it's 1% more, it's 68 million versus $68 million of net profit versus 3.4 billion spent on sales and marketing. I, you know, there's some part of me that I just, you know, investors are obsessed with this idea of SaaS and subscription and subscription revenue gets valued X dot because, you know, there's no incremental cost to produce it and you can just ship it into infinity. But where you see it in a P&L is here, is sales and marketing. That's, yeah. that's where that, that's where you get that incremental cost, right? Because you're competing with every other software provider who also doesn't have that. Well, so got- and then then the part that that isn't, I mean, it is on here, but I can't I can't really see it, but because mm. um, I got old eyes. But um is this this nonsense of stock-based compensation that yeah. somehow the the law allows these companies to turn an expense into revenue. Can you explain that? How that actually, I, I don't can't. understand how Michael, that works. I, I actually can't explain it other mm-hmm. than they literally allow the company to, to invert this. It is clearly an expense, right? If I pay you in stock, okay, that is yeah. coming out of my kitty, right? I'm, I'm, I'm giving you, but, but because it's, I don't know if it's because it's deferred in these option programs. I, I actually, you know, I have a major in accounting, but that was a hundred years ago, but I yeah. actually can't explain it. But I do know that it was a rule change that happened, you know, some number of years ago. And because of it, all these, you know, SaaS type companies and all these, these tech companies, they just, they just went straight up and got bigger, bigger multiples. I mean, still you have a bunch of these software companies like, um, uh, the ones I love to pick on, MongoDB and um, Cloudera. I mean, these things still sell it at like 20 times revenues. That's insane. Like they, yeah. they, they should go down 75% from here. And they're already down 75%. Yeah. Know, Salesforce is down 50% and it's just getting warmed up. And that's why he's not going to give you guidance. Because yeah. this is literally pull back the curtain and the Wizard of Oz ain't so... Ain't so wonderful. Yeah, no, it's not. I have a, I have a uh, something I'd like to run by you. Do you remember there was a period of time, probably back in 2021 or something like that, when we weren't really opened up back from COVID, but you know the stock market was screaming along, and everyone was sort of wondering how, why is the stock market doing so well when it seems like the economy is just either frozen or in the crapper. Yeah. And obviously, there's the monetary stimulus explanation that people would attribute. But also, I think people rightly pointed out, they said, hey, take a look at what makes up the indices, right? It, look, at, look at the top five names in the S&P and the NASDAQ. These are all technology stocks. Yep. So I'm wondering almost if there could be some sort of reverse effect here, um, which is when, when interest rates rise, those are the very ones that are, those are the ones that are extremely highly valued, very sensitive to interest yes. rate rises. Yes. There almost could be some sort of rotation underneath the hood where tech stocks are facing these incredible headwinds, right? But actually more traditional sort of value stocks actually sort of see their day and we don't see as much pain in the overall index. Do you see a possibility of that happening? Well, 100%. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Well, very well, well described, uh, well analyzed. And that's exactly what's happening. Mm. And, and and that's, and, and really, you know, why is the Dow almost back to even? Well, it's because of, of the value and mostly because of energy. Right, I mean, energy. You know, energy stocks, are, are up a ton. You know, one thing that I'd love to 
to sort of pick your brain on is, you know, looking back, we should do actually, because it's December, we should do some sort of retrospective on yeah. the year at some yeah. point and yeah, just talk about, yeah. yeah, maybe next week we can do like best and kind of worst takes. This has been one of those years that it almost feels like a decade has happened. And, you know, there's like, what's that phrase where there'll be decades where nothing happens and then one yeah, and then and then months where decades happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or that's, years that's, where decades happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I would like to get your. I know SBF and FTX has sort of been analyzed to death at this point, but I don't know if yeah. you saw the venture portfolio for Alameda got released. So we got line item detail into some five and a half billion dollars worth of investments that Alameda made. I don't yeah. know if you had any. I can actually pull it up because I think it. Uh, I think it got released on Twitter. Yeah. So I can no, see no, I can... it's 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 amazing, and and part of the problem is <laughs> there's half of it is venture, the other half is not venture, right? The other mm. half is literally literally money laundering. I mean, mm. no no hiding it. No, I mean it's literally shell companies set up. They're a website. SBF is a hundred percent owner which is just crazy. And so half, I mean, like 200-ish companies aren't companies, right? They're just fake. Now the other half, actually there's there's some venture capital investments. They invest in a whole bunch of funds, not ours. <laughs> but, uh, and like I said, I've never met the guy. And, um, and then they did do some deals, but, and, uh, and look, I, I actually, I remember... We might have even talked about this. They they definitely did little tiny bits in real companies and whole bunches of money in very dodgy stuff. Can so can we can we break some of these down? I mean, I, to your point, I think some of these some of these acquisitions range from or sorry, some of these investments range from on, on one hand over here sort of silly investments to yeah. Some some entries here that are sort of unexplainable and look like they could be grift potentially. Oh, for sure. And then and then there there's actually kind of a, another. Yeah. There, then there's actually kind of another smaller bucket which actually might be interesting for investors, right? In terms of because maybe these are just going to be overvalued, but they could be. You know, they'll have to basically work through this this investment that they got from Alameda at a crazy valuation, but they yep. could be good over a period of time, right? Anchorage yep. is a is a real yep. uh, good company, right? Yep. So. Okay, so let's let's talk about some of these. Genesis Digital Assets. So this was one of the largest miners. This is so we've got three different line items here. Uh, so these there was a two hundred fifty million dollar injection in February of twenty twenty two, then another two hundred fifty million in April of twenty twenty two. Oh, sorry, the initial one was five hundred fifty million dollars yeah. in January of twenty twenty two. So from January to April of twenty twenty two, over. Am I reading this right? Over a billion dollars, billion dollars was invested yeah. what was invested in a in a miner. Can you can you explain that? I haven't heard anyone dig into that. It's an enormous investment. It doesn't seem to fit the mandate for Alameda at all. It well, for sure it doesn't. Um, and and I can't explain it because I know how hard it is to get machines, miners, you know, the actual right. physical machines. Uh, cause we work with, you know, plenty of, of mining companies. Uh, we actually never invested in any of them, but we've mm. looked at a ton of them. Mm. Um, cause I could never make it work. It's hard for, for VC. after depreciation. 
Everybody's yeah. like, well, you get your money back in 18 months. I'm like, okay, but then what do I do with, with these rigs? I'm like, oh, well, we'll just sell them. And yeah, but they go to zero. I mean, they yeah. literally go to zero because they get antiquated by new, new technology. So I could never figure out how, how to make it work. But I, look, mining is really, really important, obviously, particularly for Bitcoin. Um, but I, I struggle to understand this, especially when you look at the value of the public miners, you know, mm -hmm. Marathon and uh, Iris and uh, Core Scientific, you know, they didn't spend this much money. Um, they spent hundreds of millions rather than tens of millions. It's hard to put $10 million to work and get miners. I, so I, I, I think this is I, not it, real. That, that yeah. my opinion would be this is not real. Mm. I, I, I have a, so Janice, I, I haven't heard anyone explain that, but I, I agree with you. It's, there's the capital allocation problem. How, how can you actually take a billion dollars and, and put it to work. But also, Sam is pretty, you know, he was famous for this even at the time, but now this has been overly analyzed to death. Very, very healthy risk appetite, right? Ar arguably far too healthy. Mining does not really fit the bill for that. So why that would take up 20% of the entire venture portfolio for Alameda, I can't really wrap my head around either. So I think that some, you know, some enterprising uh, journalist, maybe at Blockworks wants to dig in. I think that'd be very interesting. Well, and, and, and here... Um... <laughs> I, again, this is supposition, not mm. not assertion. Mm -hmm. But you know, one of the things that that's really clear about FTX is the circular nature of, of so many of their transactions. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Right, and yeah. so so Sam makes an investment in Sequoia, and Sequoia turns around and makes an equivalent investment in FTX. Mm -hmm. These guys make an investment in, in Genesis. Now, again, I don't know that, that Genesis Digital Assets is part of Genesis Trading and Genesis, you know, DCG Empire, but I'm, I'm going to make that assumption. And then Genesis lends FTX a whole bunch of money, you know, mm -hmm. with, with Bs. And so... Is this here? I'll give you money to lend me back, but there's no money. This is the part that that just boggles my mind. Yeah, is these guys gave people right? They gave Voyager money. They gave BlockFi money. They gave this these guys. They gave people money that wasn't that wasn't real. And I'm I'm like, but how did that happen? How did how did they get a bank? or somebody to transfer money. And the only thing I can come up with is they never sent money. In fact, Chanos was tweeting about this yesterday, that yeah. did they just send SBF bucks or, or FTT? So were they literally giving people fake money and, and then claiming the asset on their books? And that, that's the part I, I, I just don't know that, that we're going to find out anytime soon. There was a little while ago, the reason why I, you know, with sort of cl clarity now, right, of, of everything that's unfolded over the last 12 months, it seems very silly, but there was an immense pressure about 12 months ago to accept payment in native tokens. And many, many 
entities that had a native token would say something to the effect of, okay, we, we're willing to pay, you know, $100,000 for service XYZ. Mm -hmm. But if you accept our native token, we'll pay 250. Yes. Yeah. So what was the incentive for you? You said in your head, okay, well, I mean, I could, even if it moves 10% or or 20%, I can just take it and immediately flip it. Yep. But But Michael, that, that, and that is how M&A has been done forever and ever mm -hmm. in that there was a cash price. And then there's, well, if you take our stock, you know, we may give you more, (laughs) you know, because, and Cisco did this relentlessly. But the difference is Cisco equity actually was a claim on equity, yeah. right? It You owned part. Now, then the pool got bigger and they issued more stock and they diluted everybody. And, and then it all went in the toilet because they were lying about their inventory. So, mm-hmm. you know, they committed some, some fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe it wasn't fraud. Maybe it was just, you know, bad accounting, whatever. But the point here is creating a token out of thin air that's a utility token now, maybe, maybe there was some linkage of FTT to ownership of cash flows in FTX, but I don't think so. Mm. I mean, that was always the premise, right? Was that, that these, these exchange mm. tokens would somehow give you a share of cash flow. So it's not really equity, but I don't think that was the case. I just think it was literally punch a button print a bunch of more tokens. And, and here's the, the, the crazy part about this is the only way I can make it work is if it was a, if it really was a Ponzi, which I don't like to use that term, but this, this kind of works. If you took the FTT and gave it to somebody who actually gave you real cash, right? Then you took that cash and you sent it to the next company. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then you printed some more FTT and gave it to that company as collateral for a loan. So it's possible that they, you know, printed 700 million of FTT or a billion, a billion dollars of FTT and gave it to a lender, Mm. you know, Celsius or maybe Celsius. So they gave it to Celsius and then Celsius gave them real money. Mm -hmm. And then they gave the money to Genesis and you know, Genesis you know, went out and actually bought miners. If you could find a billion dollars in miners, which I don't think you could, but, but then my guess is no, they took that money and gave it back to FTX in exchange for FTT. Then they took, again, this is the same money, right? It's the same money that started in entity one came to FTX, went to Genesis, comes back to FTX. Then they give it to a bunch of other companies who then, they, you know, maybe they give some to BlockFi and then they printed more FTT to BlockFi. And so yeah. if that was what was going on, then we're going to find out that's how you poof, make $8 billion disappear. Cause there was never $8 billion. It was yeah. the same, you know, it reminds me, there's this story, um, European traveler comes into the hotel and he says, I'd, I'd like to, you know, maybe rent a room, but I'd like to look at it first. And the innkeeper says, oh, sure. Just, you know, put some, put a, a, a you know, Euro note on the, the desk here and, and go look. 
So he puts this 500 euro note down and guy goes upstairs, check out the, <clears throat> the suite. And the innkeeper takes the money, runs out and pays off his debt to the farmer. The farmer takes off his debt uh, to the butcher and the butcher takes the money and runs and pays off his debt to the farmer. And the farmer takes the money to the house of ill repute and pays off the debt to her. And then she runs back and pays off her debt to the hoteler. He puts the money down and the guy comes out. Says, I didn't like the room, takes his money. The whole town's debt was wiped out with mm -hmm. one paper note. Mm. And I think that's kind of what was going on here. I think they took the money from company A in exchange for worthless tokens, mm -hmm. then gave the money, real money to somebody for some of these deals, but then issued more worthless tokens to another lender. And I, and I look, I believe this is why it all came crumbling down because of Luna and Three Arrows and Sam going, oh shit, now that money got vaporized. So now I'm gonna go, I'm gonna pretend to buy the lender so they don't call my loan. Right. If they don't call my loan, then I'm okay. Mm -hmm. And and the, there, I, you know, it'd be chief head irony of ironies. There's there's speculation out there. This is Kyle Davies and Suzu trying to pump this narrative that in fact it was Alameda that shorted. They were the one that broke the peg on UST. And and that's why I said there's no chance, zero chance in my mind, that this guy is the mastermind. No chance, none. And and I I ask listeners that are listening to this. Send me a video, not from the last two months where he mm. looks like a complete moron, like seriously, can't speak, can't string sentences together, shaken. And maybe that's all an act. I, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, send, send me a video from before that where he looks intelligent. Mm. I want to see a video where this MIT graduate, mastermind, whiz kid, John D. Rockefeller of our age or JP Morgan of our age, someone send me a video where he looks intelligent. I'll, I'll, I'll link you one. There, there was an Invest Like the Best interview that he did about a year ago or something okay. like that. I, I listened to that interview like three times. I thought right. it was, I actually thought it was a very good first principles explanation of markets, but you, you know, you and I differ a little bit on this. We're, where we'll agree, I think this media tour, by the way, you haven't seen SBF on any Blockworks things, right? There's no, oh, hey, we're crypto native, so we'll interview. I'm sick of giving that guy airtime. I don't, at this point, there's nothing to be gained from it. There's no more, oh, we'll get this on the record. He's had enough of that. I don't, I don't like, so he's not coming on. Our, I think it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a gross dog and pony show at this point. And I just think people should stop he's, giving him airtime and it's engaging he's, in farming. He's making his case to the, the court of public opinion. And, you know, I think we talked about last week, there, there are people, there are, grandmothers who've said oh that poor young man you know he, he's he's really he's really being you know like what are you talking about no i i i'm aware i was at thanksgiving at thanks uh yeah thanksgiving this year i this this happened to me i was i was sitting around this this dinner table with my, my friend and his parents and their you know and people were skewed a little bit older oh i, I heard he just it kind of got away from him and i was like no 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 that is no, not no, what happened no. that is not what happened no so well, look at the piece in the boston herald or whatever the other day about caroline oh she was just this oh my god wonder kid you know kindergarten i can't even math whiz and to be honest i can't even spray. i can't even get mad about that i laughed at that i, oh. I laughed when i saw that for those of you who didn't see this maybe we can 
it was it was a headline of the Boston Globe. Caroline Ellison was destined for greatness, something to that. Yes, and yeah, then destined she, for greatness. And, and then she got into crypto. But come on, I mean, that's you have to laugh at that. That's oh, a hysterical. Yeah, because because a hysterical crypto thing. makes us all evil. Like I, I was a really nice guy. I had dark hair, and then I got into crypto, <laughs> and now I, you know, I got white hair and I got wrinkles. What's going on, guys? Want to give a quick shout out to this episode sponsor, Curve. They are the one-stop shop credit cards that helps you take control of your personal finances. Here's the reason that I personally love this company. These guys are all about helping you manage and maximize your personal cash flow. We have been talking for the last couple of months about everything that the Fed is doing with raising interest rates. Obviously, this is not, no one's got a crystal ball. This is not financial advice, but I think it makes sense more than ever now for companies to be managing their cash flow and for you as an individual to be managing your personal cash flow as well. Curve makes it super, super easy to do that. Even I can do it. As a technological Philistine, they aggregate all of your spending information in one place. They make it super easy to plan. But they actually go one step further than that. They have a very cool feature called Go Back in Time, which allows you to switch payments from one card to another. So if you have an unexpected expense crop up, boom, you can move that over to your credit card, free up some cash. Or maybe you learned too late that you could have earned more rewards by spending on a different card. Boom, Curve has you covered there too. And the last thing that I'll say is, if you click the link at the bottom of this episode, you'll get $20 in Curve Cash, but you'll only get that if you click the vanity link at the bottom of this episode. Plus, that gives me the credit as well. So thank you, Curve. I appreciate you caring about cash flow. Guys, click the link at the bottom of this episode. Tell them I sent you. Yeah, I don't know if you've done the Lenza thing. You know, that's the thing. Everyone's doing it. So mm-hmm. I said, fine, I'll do it. And <laughs> all I got to say is... Um, about half of the avatars that the AI did are recognizable. They, they mm. look like me. In fact, a couple of them actually look a lot like me. Mm. But the other half, <laughs> this, this thing needs work. I mean, there were, and there were a whole bunch of them where the aspect ratio was wrong. So it, it ain't perfect. Mm. But, but the one thing, there was a, a thread, uh, this, this couple of friends of mine were saying, oh, but you know, it makes everybody look young and it sexualizes women. I'm like, I didn't get young or sexualized. I just mm. look old because I got mm. these deep cre- creases in my my avatar. And like, you know, if you're going to do an AI, how about clean me up a little bit? Mm. Come on. You know, there's there's been different periods of time. You can actually, not to super nerd out on you here, but you can go back and look at like, you know, there are all those busts of like Roman senators and everything. There are different periods of time where, you know, one, you, you wanted to emphasize the youth, right? And that was kind of like the Caesar age. But then there was also, there was the reaction to that, like late Republic kind of, um, uh, you, you wanted age and wisdom and they actually emphasized all the creases and they, oh my they, God, wanted, they wanted to okay. do that. So, okay. So that's, you are so perfect. So look there at you this. Go. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I tweet about this one. It's like, I had no idea that Harrison Ford was my father. <laughs> I mean, but there's the, there's the bust. Right. And I'm like, yeah, that looks Harrison Ford-esque. Man. You look like an hilarious. older, more refined Harrison Ford. It's that's hilarious. Not a bad thing. I'm like, you know what? I, I'll take that I comparison. Take that. Yeah, yeah, I'll take yeah. that all day. Okay, I, I would love to. I'd love to get your opinion on something, which was proof of reserves. So, proof yeah. of reserves is getting in is getting in all the headlines this week. Binance released sort of a preliminary version of it. I wanna I wanna emphasize why this is well. Why is it important? Obviously, because some of these assets, especially some of the more offshore ones that are less regulated have proven to not be particularly discretionary about what they're doing with uh, with their users' funds. So this is proof of reserves. It kind of first came to light. I mean, folks like Nick Carter have been talking about this for a long period of time. But I, I want to emphasize that what most people, I think, think of as proof of reserves, people are actually talking about proof of assets. 
Proof of reserves is proof of assets pr plus proof of liabilities. The proof of liabilities is much harder. So yep. it's very easy for exchanges to say, hey, point to a wallet and say, these are my Bitcoins. Are okay, mine. that's great. First of all, that's great. Well, first of all, we need an auditor to make sure that you actually own and control the private keys for that. But second of all, what are the liabilities that correspond to that group of assets? Because if you're showing me a wallet with $5 billion worth of Bitcoin, but I've got $10 billion worth of customer deposits, that's a big problem. problem. So the asset side is relatively easy, right? You need to be able to point to these wallets, prove to an auditor that you control the private keys on a relatively updated basis. The trick is proving liabilities. So actually, I think the, the group that pioneered a, a theory for this was BitMEX originally. And they're, they're trying to solve this problem where, you know, you don't want to display too much user data, right? Or you don't want to make everything public because then there's privacy issues there. Mm -hmm. But they sort of came up with this, this useful structure where they have the total amount of liabilities at the top of a Merkle tree structure. And then they reveal just enough information, personally identifiable information in different leafs on the Merkle tree. So what you can do as a user is you can, using that bit of data that they give you, you can actually test to see okay, here's the overall pool of liabilities, right? Customer deposits on the exchange. Is my, are my customer deposits, or are my deposits on the exchange included in that overall number? And theoretically, you don't need everyone to test that because not everyone's yep. going to. But if enough people verify that, then you can be pretty certain that all the customer liabilities, deposits are accounted for. Yep. Now, the limitations of that are you can't tell if there's an off-chain off contract where you're the exchange is using that for collateral for something else right yep. so there are there are very hard limitations on it but with the use of uh, auditing and you know some sort of structure like that that'd be great kraken has done a really good job of, of uh, shout out to, to jesse powell binance announced their proof of reserves earlier this week there were some issues ish. there were some yeah ish so here here were some of the problems right the they equated bitcoin with bbtc and BTCB. And those are Binance that are basically wrapped or Bitcoins that are wrapped on Binance Smart Chain on, and on Ethereum. Binance is the issuer of both of those things. There's obviously an additional layer of risk. Those should not be held at par. Uh, BBTC does not equal one BTC, right? We, as, we, as we know. Yep. The other thing is they include negative account balances and that, that, that affects things. So on a spot margin exchange, basically, if you you deposit some collateral. The exchange basically gives you a loan to trade with more than, you, than you've put up. That shows in your account as a negative account balance. Mm -hmm. That would actually be an asset to the exchange. Those need to be excluded from any calculation of, of proof of assets and liabilities. So there were, some, there were still some, some pretty big problems, mm -hmm. I would say. But CZ has said he's working to, to move towards this. I think Jesse had a pretty good call out on it. Uh, I don't know what you what you thought about all of this, but I would love to see exchanges move towards this acceptance uh, look, model. For sure, we we need we need self regulation, or we're going to get you know real regulation. Right. And the real regulation. I mean, look, regulation mm. isn't bad. You know, we should have rules and we should have standards. Um, and. And it's hard in a borderless world, like whose jurisdiction are you in and who has responsibility. But, but at the end of the day, if, if we don't give people trust in, in the system, people are going to stop using it. And, and we're seeing that, right? We're seeing volumes just collapse and we're seeing money flood 
off exchange back into cold storage, uh, you know, and, and I'm a little happy for this part because you know, we're investors in Ledger and um, now not as big as some of our other investments, but, mm. but you know, a meaningful investment. Yeah. And, you know, they had their best sales month ever last I'm month. Sure. Yeah, I'm sure. And, you know, they're, they're new stacks. You want to talk about an amazing. Oh, my God. Thing. I tweeted this out, but I. The new the new design that they have it's the designer of the iPod right Tony yes. something Tony yep. Fadal or something yep. I've I've never looked at something in crypto and been like I want that I like, want oh, it. I have, oh I yeah want it. I was like that just looks cool I oh, I yeah. want that thing oh that yeah was, I thought that was it, wow it is, it is the iPhone moment for Web three it, it it's is very cool and yeah, super cool. and people are like no no and 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 we we've talked about this right is Apple keeps saying, well, we have this enclave and, and we could we could air gap and, and we could have the heart, like then do it, right? Because I'm only carrying one device. I'm not gonna carry both. And what I'm hoping and what I think this is, is an HSM that is super hard encrypted can then take, you know, it can put a cam- camera's not that hard. You can get a camera and you can put it in there. Um, and that's kind of what I, I, I use my screen. So I want to be able to switch over to, you know, Wi-Fi and the internet, but that shouldn't be that hard. And now the question is, can you, can you do both on a single device and still be secure? And that's just beyond my technical expertise, but someone's going to figure it out. And, and if Ledger has done that with this device, which looks like it can, I mean, mm. screen's big enough to actually see stuff. Epic. It's an epic moment. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. Um, so props to them. By the way, that's like a big risk. That's a big get to get uh, Tony to do that. So props to Ledger for, for getting yeah, that look, done. Look, Pascal, and, and look, <clears throat> people haven't heard this guy. I mean, we have our little tiny podcast, not nearly as successful as, as your podcast, but uh, called Digital Currents. And we interviewed Pascal. And, and look, this is the best hour of my week every week. But that hour and... 20 minutes I spent with oh. Pascal is the best podcast I've ever been associated with. All I mean, right. again, it was just, he, I like, I wanted to quit my job and go work for the guy. I mean, he's <laughs> just so yeah. inspirational. I mean, a college dropout and, you know, school of hard knocks and, and just persistence and resilience and, mm. and funny and a philosopher. I mean, and maybe I'm just biased to people who understand history and philosophy like you and, and Pascal. Um, but it was awesome. I mean, he's amazing. Yeah, he really is. He's, he's an inspiration. He's, he's been there early. I have a, I've got one, you know, I've been, I've been developing this, this theory, Mark, that I want to run by you. Maybe we can sort of riff on that, you know, into the end of the show. But one thing that I'm starting to, to wonder about is if we need some sort of Overton window to shift in order for crypto to succeed, and I think the Overton window that I think people need to look through the lens of is instead of optimizing for efficiency, they need to be optimizing for resiliency. And what I mean by that yeah. is if you want to compete, you know, I see all these things trying to compete on the on the battleground of capital efficiency. And I get that, right? Like you want to be able to, if you have assets, you want to make them as efficient as possible, yada, yeah. yada. I find it very hard. It's very hard to compete against the legacy system that we have of one big central authority that has basically unlimited power in the financial system, and they can go and do anything they want. That's the most efficient system you could dream of, right? And but what I think we're building here with Bitcoin and decentralized finance and 
the entire crypto base layer infrastructure is a system that's ultimately more resilient, both to centralized corruption, but also just to, you know, the, the uh, you know, different big players that want to put their, their, their fingers on the scale. Because if we were trying to just build efficient financial products, we should do it all from one database where someone has, you know, immediate authority. Yeah, but, but, but we can mm. and, and we can get the, the decentralized benefit. But we, we have to build the, the safety nets and the support systems that allow for people to, to have that trust. Remember, what we're trying to do is replace trust with truth. Right. Okay? And, and that's, that's what the tech does, right? That's what mm -hmm. a blockchain does. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't give us this resilience that you talk about in the face of a loss of confidence. Mm -hmm. So even though we, we can know that it's truth, unless, you know, someone is, is committing fraud, but it, it, there was, this wasn't fraud on crypto, right? Crypto didn't fail. Everyone's like, oh, this is a crypto failure. No, no, this was not a crypto failure. This was a, a banking failure. Mm -hmm. And banks have failed in the same way for, you know, centuries is bad people do bad things and cook the books or steal. And so that's, this wasn't stolen from the ledger. It wasn't. And so for me, it's let's have this insurance layer that would allow us to operate in this system with the comfort that if a bad player does a bad thing, that we can be taken care of, yeah. right? Banking system, La Jolla savings, bad people do bad things, goes down the tubes, okay? 3% of total banking assets in this country wiped out. What happens? FDIC comes in, makes everybody whole. We go in, put in new equity, and, and everything's great. Well, why did that happen? Well, because there was this insurance network. So why? And, and to me, we don't need a centralized authority. We can do a decentralized. Why can't there be contracts that every transaction, just a little tax, and it goes into the insurance pool. And, and instead of the insurance like we do it now, where there's insurance in the UK and the insurance in the US and insurance in, in Panama, mm. no insurance in Panama, but insurance ever, and, and all these pools are small. Let's have one giant pool, like mm. a global pool, because mm. that's more efficient. And let's have it be auditable and public and on a permanent immutable ledger. And then when the inevitable happens, right? When there is, a loss people can make claims and i just think we insurance is the thing that's missing in my mind it's you know we've invested in a couple insurance companies and and that think about any business right no one would buy a house if you couldn't insure it no one would mm -hmm. buy a car if you couldn't insure it no one would you know operate a business if you couldn't insure it so we built these financial institutions that were replicant replicants of banks and savings and loans, but we had no insurance. It doesn't mm. make any sense. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the insurance insurance though is a tough business because insurance is basically there if one individual person fails, right? That's the business model. Oh, hey, mm -hmm. I've got these. I've got this slew of a million people, and you know, three or five or ten or whatever of that million people yeah. ends up needing a large payout. Yep. Insurance totally fails when the entire system needs a bailout or there's a major, right? This was, this was, we went through this actually during COVID when you have business interruption insurance. Okay. 
<laughs> there's a global pandemic and, right. and, and the government is ordered to shut down the business. Uh, we're not going to cover that. Why? Right. Not because it's not included in the coverage, but because if they cut, if they paid out everyone's claim, then they would go out of business as well. Yeah. Right. They're not, that's yeah. why you have, that's why you have reinsurance. And then, it, you know, there's a larger insurance market that insures the insurers. And then yep. that ultimately all kicks up to the government. And what I, you know, but that's, that's the whole circular problem, which is that everything kicks up to the government when you can't solve something. Everything just gets kicked up to the government and the government says, yeah, well, they just, and they just print more money to get out. And that is the, look, that is the, I, I think this is a really interesting because it's, it's almost a philosophical problem. We talk about this deflationary currency mm -hmm. and why it's so great. Okay. Yeah, I know. But remember I'm, I'm with you. the inflationary part of the currency, particularly the world reserve currency allows for the bailout of these exogenous, unexpected, unanticipated events. And, and yes, it has ramifications. I mean, it means what I read yesterday, 69% of people reported having problems paying for groceries. 69%. I mean, I'm sure that number's not right, but it's probably in the, in the ballpark. Yeah. That's a frightening thought. And, and why is that? Well, it's because they created too much money to bail out the system in, you know, the self-imposed lockdown nonsense, you know, uh, disaster. And, you know, it, it's kind of like we're seeing it in China, right? China, lockdown, zero COVID. Okay. Economy, like down, 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 down. And now they're like, well, okay, it's down far enough. If it goes down any further, like we're gonna have really bad problems. Mm -hmm. So let's start unleashing and let's get rebuilding. And but that, because the government can can print at their leisure enough renminbi to to facilitate that. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting problem. I I I continue to think that the most useful lens to look at crypto, everything, Bitcoin and crypto included, is a is a counter is an is a reaction to a system that has gone far too much. Yeah. Uh, the pendulum has swung far too much in one direction. So, yeah. if you think about the the fiat system, right? There's always a tension in between spenders and savers. And I probably fall on the side of on the margin. Uh, you want people to be more spenders than savers. I think it's better for a society because if the marginal dollar is going into spending at a business, then it's that much easier if you want to create a business and businesses, mm -hmm. business creation and markets are how we move our society forward, right? That's mm -hmm. how we, that's how we track that. So we want people doing a little bit more spending than saving, but we have taken that just way too far. We have, oh, we have seriously yeah. abused that. And you've re and if you put yourself in the position of someone who you know, is working at, at, in a minimum wage job and they don't have any access to just be able to protect their, their purchasing power. And the only thing you can do is put it in these crazy stocks that is. A, the, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a it's bad, bad situation. And, and it goes to, it's going to get worse. Cause we, you know, we were, we thought we were going to talk about chat GPT and GPT um, and, and AI. Well, that's going to make this way worse. Oh my God. Right? I, if, if suddenly all of these jobs are done by the AI, 
you know, whether it's graphic artists or whether it's copywriters or whether it's researchers or, you know, whether it's novelists or, or whatever, then those people, you know, yeah. the, the nirvana thing is, oh, well, then we have more time to be creative and, and, and okay, sure. And, and that's the whole thing about, you know, if, if your money isn't devaluing and could actually appreciate, you're freed from, you know, slavery of, of income to, to be more creative. Well, okay, but if I'm going to ideate and create, but all the business models are being done by the AI, well, and so I, I read this thing and, and, and it was, it was okay. I mean, it said, well, then, then we'll, we'll, we'll get to the, the, you know, transcend, transcendent state, which is what humans should be anyway, where we sit around and meditate all day. I'm like, I, I also, okay. I mean, yes. I I mean, look, I get it. That, that would be awesome for a couple days, but I, I I like I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. I don't, I'm sorry. I don't think that hundred thousand years of human DNA is going to be overwritten. And suddenly we're going to be cool with sitting around and being happy with everything. I just, Mm -hmm. it's not, it doesn't mesh with my fundamental and look, the the this the steel man counter argument to this is you're in a box. This is the way it's always been. You're incapable once you're in the box of seeing on the outside, right? But I yeah. I just don't think so. I look if, I, if all we're if all we're meant to do is entertain one another. Oh, okay. Now I'm we don't have to make this. stuff, right? Because because the machines will make it. Okay. Um and and look, you and I are we're making entertainment right now I and mean, we're trying to mm-hmm. inform and, and enlighten and, and educate too. But, but at the end of the day, this is a form of, of entertainment. And so we're investing an hour of our time and other people then invest. And we're very grateful for everybody who does join us every Saturday. Um, but I, I just, I don't know. I, I like the idea of, of making stuff. I, I, you know, I like what I do. I, I like investing in founders that make new businesses, but if, if the machine's going to do that for me, I don't know, I could ride my mountain bike a little bit. I could, mm. you know, meditate a little bit, but I don't know. And, and here's it, you know, I, the one thing, this is what I've really been struggling with is, you know, you, you, you had this lens, thing and, and all these pictures are out there and it's like, well, that's wrong. And that has no value because it wasn't created by a human. Like, just think about this for a second. Yeah. So if it comes out of my brain through my fingers, why is that superior coming out of an electronic brain? I, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that because my brain is, is equally mysterious as this AI, right? I mean, I, 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 I know like Jackson Pollock, some people look at it and say, oh, it's beautiful. Okay. I can have an AI, generative AI, create the almost the exact same thing. People say, oh, the Pollock is worth more. Why? Just because it came from his hand versus this generative AI algorithm. Why is that better? I I don't know if, if the response is the same, right? The physical visceral response to a piece of art is the same. Why does it matter who created it? I, I don't know. And, mm. and I, I mean, this 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna be sitting with this for a while and thinking yeah. about it. And I if, think if a, if a book is written by a human versus a bot, but I still love the book and I love the story, why is it less good? Oh, I I'll just I don't even I'm not even sure I really need to think about that. I don't think it's any better or worse. Okay. I don't think it, I don't think it's impacted if it was done by a human or not. I, I I think I think probably in fact the exact opposite of that. I think people will be fascinated when AIs are actually capable of writing full length novels. People are going to be it's gonna, it's there'll be this whole new quality to it because it's like it came from the ether. Where did this even come from? It came from. But your brain is the ether. That's the part that is so weird. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just. If you think cool. about. I think it'll be cool. Actually, do this exercise. Kind of almost write down, but you don't even have to write down. You just have to sit with yourself for a few minutes and watch the thoughts. Like, watch how random. And like, one will be like a historical thing that happened to you. And mm. then one will be an idea. And then one will be a butterfly flies by. And, and then, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's I, wild. I yeah, and yeah. you're like, there's no way you could code that. Yeah. Right? So, And so what to me is the magic of whether AI can can do this is can it have the randomness mm. of human experience? Mm. Because like we didn't plan to talk about some of the things that we talked about today. No. It just happened organically. And one of the things that we planned to talk about, we didn't spend that much time on. And it's that that randomness that I think is so wonderful yet so perplexing. Mm. Do you two minutes on chat GBT? I mean, there are, there are the sort of these two, there are the sort of these two arguments about it, which is one, this is unbelievable. First of all, in terms of achieving 1 million users, it did that. Well, I, I didn't look, it's like a week or something like that, oh, yeah. right? So a, a lot of people are using this in terms of, it seems like the flexibility and the, the quality of the response is extremely high actually on chat GPT. So to your point, I mean, people have, this is a bit of a light bulb moment for me. I have to admit on Google up until recently, I'd always thought Google was very good. Now, if you Google something, the first seven results are ads. It's Use all been SEO optimized. Useless. I got to be honest. It's, it's kind of useless. I used to useless. feel Google, like Google was magic. I think the quality, if we're all looking at pretty honestly, is degraded quite a bit. So on the one hand, you know, sometimes you type into this uh, question to chat GPT, you get a better response than you, you probably would from Google. So that's, that's the steel man argument. People are saying, blah, blah, blah. Now, the, the Steelman argument for why it not, might not be as great as one, people are going to realize that this is almost too good and too powerful, and they're not going to allow it to crawl their data, right? Mm -hmm. So then you can sort of see this future where there are these silos with, you know, yeah. some sort of AI thing, and then, but really the the ultimate, like, data is the new oil, right? So people, you know, yeah. the, there was a pretty in interesting idea I heard where maybe you buy up hospital systems because you get proprietary you know, bits of medical data that you can run your own AI sort of simulations on. And that would be very cool. And then the other thing is it kind of makes some basic mistakes as well. So where do you fall on the whole, this is a... The, the genius of Google is that they, they indexed, right? They created a website with the answers to all the questions. Mm -hmm. So when you're typing, by the time you're done typing the question, it's already sent you where it knows you want to go. Yeah. Okay. And if you ask a new question, if you're actually smart enough to ask a new question, then it has to go find the data and create a new website. Okay, that's amazing. But that's facts, right? Who is the 46th president? Okay, that's a fact. You know, where is Yosemite located? That's a fact. How do I, if you Google, how do I design a system to detect cheating in 
high school kids writing papers using ChatGPT. GPT, GPT. Ooh, it's going to struggle with that one because that's that's not a fact, right? That's kind of like intuitive. And when the person asked that to ChatGPT, the answer was amazing. The what answer was, the answer was, give them problems that are open ended, not <laughs> you know simple just you know prompts to to write an essay and have them do collaborative work instead of individual papers. Oh, oh. Damn, that, that's a good, that's a good <laughs> answer. That right? is, wow. That is that's a good answer. And, and so that wow. intuition, but that's, that's the human part. We mm. think of human, but it's really just the electronic synapses of, of the brain. And, and think about it. What is a computer? A computer is simply an electronic system that does tasks faster. So now we're training it to your point on the data to make these inferences faster. Now, if you restrict the data, it's not going to be as effective, but it then will start creating its own data, right? By thinking, I mean, literally thinking and repositing that data, and then it will scrub that data. So I think it, it can overcome some of that, but ultimately, there's a big difference between facts, fact questions, and like uh, problem questions or idea questions. Yeah, you know, it it had it, it, you know somebody said, well, it it perfectly coded, you know, some loop to do something to draw a picture. Yeah. Okay, fine. Python coding, I can't do it, but it's pretty rules based, and yeah, fine. It's better for that. Yeah. But. Again, this goes back to what we, you and I talked about. Questions are more important than answers. Mm -hmm. So formulating the right question is the key. And what you've seen with the chat thing is if you ask a question a certain way, you get one outcome. If you insert one or two other words, you get a different outcome. And like there was one, and this one, this one made me a little bit mad. It, it was something about um, why should I vote Democratic. And, and the response was, well, I can't tell you to vote one way. You have to look at all things. And you did the politic politically correct, but but correct answer was make your own decision. Yes. But then it said um, something about something about gay marriage. I can't remember the exact question. Mm. And and the thing was, well, all marriage is just a contract between two people, and anyone should have the right. And the guy was like, see, this is liberal and it's biased. I'm like, what are you talking? about that is a that is a factual statement I, yeah <laughs> all people like maybe it's not a factual statement but that is yeah. that is not a biased statement to say that the contract of marriage is a contract between two people and it mm. can be any two people that's not a liberal that's not i mean that's and so it was the person putting this lib lib label lib label and saying that the, the system was biased like, no, no, that's not bias. That's that's the meta, maybe that's the wrong word, but that's the, the consensus of the data is that a marriage contract is this and the people are people and therefore anyone can be married. Now, if you want to say no, 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 it was written man and woman. Okay, maybe it was written that way, but we can change our mind. 
Right. I mean, we're allowed to change our mind. Yeah. So. I got the, you know, this whole, this whole arguing and you sort of saw it. I know we, we got to wrap up here in a second, but this whole arguing, even over the Twitter files and all that stuff, it, everything is just this battle in between conservatives and liberals and everyone. I just, I just, I don't know. I, I that's not what I think. I don't know. I, I don't, you, I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted by it. I'm just exhausted by it. It, it just shouldn't don't. define you, right? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You're, your views on certain things shouldn't define you. Now they should be, they should be part of you, and you should have confidence. If capital I capital F is my new favorite line, capital I capital F. If you've actually spent time discerning your own views, that's a good. Yeah, I right? agree with that. But I what and, and and this comes from William Derizewitz wrote this piece, Solitude and Leadership, and what he talks about. And then he wrote a book, The Excellent Sheep, and all this great stuff. He's an amazing writer. And if you haven't read Solitude and Leadership, read it. It's What's, the best um, six, seven pages. I actually don't even know the author. Who, who is William this? William Derizowitz. He's amazing. I mean, he's amazing. And, um, and basically what he says is if I ask you a question, the first thing out of your mouth will be someone else's thought. You'll huh. be parroting back what you heard. Because rarely what do we do is take in all this stuff and say, okay, I believe X. I believe a marriage contract is between two people and it could be any people. Do mm. I believe that? Or was I told that? Have I actually thought about that? Have I thought about what does it mean? What is the purpose of marriage? What, if, if I've actually sat down and thought about it, then it's my thought. It's my mm. belief. But most of us don't spend the time to discern. And we just take either what our parents give us or what the media gives us or what the government gives us or what our friend gives us. I'm like, yeah, I like that too. Mm -hmm. And that's lazy. Mm -hmm. And and what we need to do, but, but you got to actually get off social media and you got to get, you know, sit with yourself and actually think and spend time. And his whole point is solitude is what we all need, not to be alone all the time, but periodic bouts Sometimes. When you with yourself or you and I can have solitude. Like this is solitude. Every mm -hmm. week we get together for an hour and we have these deep conversations about cool stuff. Mm -hmm. That is solitude. That is what a true friend is, right? Mm -hmm. Someone that you can talk about stuff in an open way. You can disagree, you can agree, you can, and, and you listen to each other and you're trying to dialogue and debate in search of truth. So solitude can be a conversation with yourself. It can be a conversation with another person, but as long as you're learning and as long as you're updating your belief stack, that's, that's the whole point. Mm. You know, there's actually good biological reason why people that causal arrows, most people think they form an opinion by taking all these building blocks and then coming up the conclusion when actually you have an emotional reaction to something, then you justify. That's how most people make decisions. Exactly. You've, you've got two systems in your brain. You've got your prefrontal cortex and you've got your limbic system. Limbic is the emotional reactive sort of part of your brain. Your prefrontal cortex is your higher functioning. And the limbic system, it was developed older. If I see bear, I run, right? It's just it's immediate, right? It, it has to be the thing that reacts first. That's why when sometimes you're in an argument, you feel yourself getting agitated before you even know why. You, you know, when, have you ever been in a situation where someone's saying something to you and you just feel it like bubbling up? You're like, I'm so mad right now. That's It hasn't even registered in your brain why you're mad, but the other part of your brain I'm pointing back here because it's sort of located back. No, there. no, no it's, it's the fight or flight, and yeah. you know, and 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 that 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 urge to run. Then, when it gets up here, you say, "Nope, don't run. Put on tennis shoes, then run." 
mm-hmm. because you don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun your friend. Yeah. I have, there's a, there's a cool psych experiment where if you do see a bear, uh, you know, what, I'm not, I'm not, I, I, let me do a little research on this cause I have to remember, uh, but it was right. huge. It changed the way I thought about a lot of stuff. Mark, we've gone over time here, but I know it's always, it's right, it's always but, tough to end it. Yeah, I know. Cause I it is, these but look, uh, love, love conversation. I love the fact that we went a little off piste today since it's almost ski season Yeah, and uh, a little tree skiing, Yeah, but uh, wish everybody a good week and uh, we'll do our, our year end review next week. We shall, my friend. We shall. All right. Uh, good luck with the uh, building of the, the the home and everything. Yeah. So, so hopefully uh, I won't smash my thumb with the hammer or cut a finger off or something. Please, Touch Lord, me. be careful. Yeah. Lord, be careful. All right. Mark, best hour of my week, my friend. I'll see you see next ya. week.